today I'm here with Safe, who is a contractor, real estate investor, and founder of New4 Inc. So welcome, Safe. Thanks for having me. No problem. My pleasure. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm joining from the office, which is in Hamilton. Very cool. Very cool. So are you based in Hamilton? Where do you work out of Hamilton or GTA? Yeah, we're based in Hamilton. We service Toronto to Niagara, but naturally because of our office being here, we have about 80% of our projects local. Interesting. So Safe, you first came on my radar as a result of your promotional video for these tiny homes that your company has been taking garage. Um, and I'm not a construction person, so correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that they're freestanding garages and you're converting them into tiny homes that are kind of standalone um, residences. Can you tell us a little bit about those projects? Exactly. That's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. So they are these uh, on, on, I guess, uh, older neighborhoods with older homes. The lots are typically larger. And on men of, many of these larger lots, you have uh, garages that are detached that may or may not be in use. But in any case, it's not being used to its full potential. So there was a bill that was passed a few years ago where you can build up to four units on any residential address with no rezoning. So what people are doing now is they're starting to take those garages and they're converting them into homes. So it's really starting to take a lot of popularity in the last, I would say, year, year and a half. It's still not um, as, as those conversions are not as popular as they should be. So a lot more people should be doing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that I explore here on this podcast is the lack of affordable housing, especially for first-time homebuyers, most especially in the GTA in Southern Ontario. So mm-hmm. I think this presents an interesting opportunity, especially for young people who want to have a bit of agency, um, who mm-hmm. want to have some independence from their parents, maybe benefit from that multifamily living but also um, add some equity to their parents' property, which is really where most people's wealth is sitting right now. So I think it's an incredible opportunity. I have a couple questions about the nuts and bolts of the project. So how do we determine that, say, I have a bungalow and this standalone garage, big lot. um, How do I determine if my garage is something that would be appropriate for a project like this? So there's many building code requirements, but they all kind of come together and they uh, will effectively uh, have a certain square footage. So from my experience, you know, you have certain natural light requirements, minimum size of living room requirements, uh, uh, size of the kitchen area, so on and so forth. You can add all those up, but all that translates to about at the bare, bare minimum, I would say 350 square feet. As long as you have 350 square foot garage, and the bones are in pretty decent shape, you probably have something that is eligible for a conversion. And what would you be looking at? I know obviously fixtures and upgrades um, change the price, but what would be kind of a base price of what you would be looking at for something of that square footage to convert it? Uh, If the shell looks good and it's in pretty good shape, so you walk in, you know, you don't see any rotten wood, You don't see a wall leaning on one side. The slab looks like it's in decent shape. It's just unfinished. You should budget realistically around $120,000 to finish that and turn it into a one-bedroom. 
Wow. And for some people, that's a down payment on a house and you could have your very own standalone residence. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so time- what it would cost to com- kind of convert an existing shell into a brand new unit. That's that's incredible. So timeline, I know that these Canadian winters tend to put a bit of a, a wrench in projects sometimes, but what's mm-hmm. a loose timeline for something like that? As long as you start the project between April to end of October, then the project will take around four to five months at the absolute maximum. That's I'm not even going to talk about the time it takes to build a new home. So that, yeah. That's not even comparable. That's awesome. Yeah. And I won't hold you to that. Um, I'm up in Muskoka. So I think that maybe our building season is a little bit shorter because of the snow. Yeah, is here. definitely. For you, <laughs> it'll be longer. You get a special timeline. Absolutely. So what kind of clients do you end up working with? Like what do these um, structures end up turning into after they're completed? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so they're always turned into a separate home. The use of the of the home is different. Some clients are homeowners and then they uh, need generational living. So they maybe have kids that are growing up or they have grandparents that are elderly that also need a place to stay, but they don't need a full home. So they're using that for, for example, the grandparents to live in. At some point, you know, they might move out and then they'll put um, tenants in there or something like that. And then we also get investors that just completely rent them. So where it's becoming something that's a bit nicer than a typical triplex because the house is not too chopped up. You have something that's a separate uh, dwelling completely. So you're able to charge premium rent and it's a, a quality, quality unit. So naturally, because I would say we're at the point in the market where maybe only the first 10, call it the first 10% of investors um, are actually the ones that are doing these type of projects because they're so new and some people are risk averse and they're not jumping in yet. So naturally, the people that are doing this work right now are investors. As they start to become more common and if, once you have you know, 10, 20 houses in, in every neighborhood that have been sort of bought and sold and people understand the value of them, you're going to see a lot more people that are buying in. But many people need proof of concept before jumping in. So right now, it's the people that have more experience, that have enough long-term vision to know that this is something valuable, they're able to jump in at this point while it's still fresh. Mm -hmm. And I can see it being really well-received because right now, even with first-time homebuyers, we're looking for uh, residences with multi-units so they can offset some of that income to be able to borrow more and things like that. So everybody wants an income-generating unit. Um, And I think, yeah, I think Probably people will be quicker to adopt something that's going to make them more money um, than. And it to- makes a lot more. It makes it really does make a lot more. I'll give you an example. Um, because it's a separate home, it's obviously you can't compare it to a basement. So call this a hundred twenty thousand dollar renovation. Typically, when people completely got a basement, and you usually do have to gut a basement, you completely gut it. You pay one hundred twenty thousand to renovate your basement into a legal second unit. Okay, and the conversions do cost that much. You'll rent a basement if it's premium and a two bed and it's really, really nice. You'll rent it for 2000 a month. But then your upstairs rent gets a little bit cheaper because now it's a duplex, not a separate home. So your rent upstairs might go down by 500 bucks. So let's call it your net $1,500. That's at the absolute maximum. That's typically what people are used to in conversion costs and stuff like that. Now you buy this garage, you put 120. The same 120 will bring you about 
2200 to 2500 a month. But if you do it as an Airbnb, because you maybe you live in the home or something like that, and you're easily able to manage it, it'll bring up to 3500 a month. So the numbers don't even compare. They're, they're amazing. And in these times where lending is so expensive, it's a great, great strategy to offset that carrying cost. And it also gives an opportunity um, to have an owner-occupied rental. I know myself, I have two young kids. I don't want somebody in my basement, but if there's a standalone structure, we have the parking, then also the quality of living for the tenant becomes better as well. So you have happier tenants, you have people who want to stay longer. It's just this great snowball effect. I think exactly. the premise is incredible if you can get a property um, that that's appropriate for it, which depending on where you are in Ontario, shouldn't be an issue. That's that's great. So now, Safe, I'd like to speak a little bit about the challenges that currently exist in the market for people trying to get into the market and for potential home buyers. So obviously, with interest rates rising in the past year, it's been absolutely insane trying to qualify for any type of um, borrowing power, i.e. mortgage, especially for first-time home buyers. So what are you seeing in trends? I know you're involved in um, development and all sorts of things like that. What are you seeing as trends that may bring some hope to home buyers who are looking at getting into the market? Is there any hope that you can see at the end of the tunnel for us? Yeah, I would say when these become more popular, the bank, more banks or more lenders are going to start recognizing the real value and then they'll be able to use the full income. So right now what's happening for people that have much higher risk tolerance like myself or anybody else that's an active investor, we're going in, you're putting the money into it, you're getting beautiful cash flow, nice lift on it, but not the full lift that you should be getting because I'll give you an example. What they're doing right now is they're appraising these properties very differently because they're brand new. On the home itself, let's say you put two units in the home, they're using comps, so your comparables. So let's say the house is worth, you did a nice reno, it's a legal duplex, that thing is now worth 850. Then they're adding the value of the garden suite onto it. What they're doing is they're giving pennies on the dollar for construction costs. So they're doing about like 60 cents on the dollar for construction costs. So really you're only getting, call it a $70,000 lift, which when you actually pull out the equity is about like 50 grand or something. So you're not getting full pop, but the 50 grand costs you right now $250 a month in mortgage. What you're getting, again, depending, $2,500 to maybe even, if it's Airbnb, $3,500 a month. So it's not proportionate. Something that generates that much rent, in theory, should be worth at least $300,000 because that's how much debt it's servicing. It's mm -hmm. able to service. So if you are someone that is willing to take the risk and you're or you're an active investor, then you wait patiently, you do these type of projects, and you sit on it for three years, maybe even four years. At that point, they're going to be recognizing that full value one way or another, because at the end of the day, income is income. It's legitimate. It's on permit. It's not uh, something that's uh, trendy and, and it's going to go away tomorrow. This is real income. So the value is there. Mm -hmm. And you truly need the tested history of how well it's performing and what happens to um, these units once they're in the market. So that's understandable. Um, but I like what you said about not being a quick investment. And truly, real estate is not a quick investment. And that's something that I try uh, to impart on my listeners that 
if you're making a decision, especially a large decision, like an investment like this, um, upwards of $100,000, you need to have a long-term plan on how you're going to, A, eat the cost of investing, and B, wait it out for the long-term so you can really see your returns work on that. I think that's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd like to also ask you a little bit about your thoughts on multifamily living as a trend that we're seeing much more in Canada here, but has been adopted by other parts of the world basically forever. Um, what? Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on uh, how multifamily living can can help Canadians right now. So I think you're asking multifamily living in the sense of think of it as generational living, where you have a mm-hmm. couple of different generations living there. I think in five years, maybe maybe a little bit longer, okay? Maybe five, definitely within 10 years from today, that is going to be the norm. In 20 years ago, if you were to buy a home from a builder, the standard home was, you know, 25, 2800, 3000 square feet, single family, detached. If you're getting on a nice lot, what at least 120 deep. Right now, if you're buying something today, that's a serious premium. So we went from that to semis, right? Now, if there's detached, detached on a tiny lot where you barely have a backyard, from semis to towns, from towns to mixed use with a commercial downstairs and the residential upstairs with the residential access in the back. And then now obviously condos are crazy. So mm-hmm. everything is getting more and more and more dense. What they're doing is you are making that square footage go a lot longer because here things are super expensive. Uh, living is expensive. The, uh, the the cost of borrowing is expensive right now as well. And most importantly, the cost to build is super, super expensive. So the point is we got to be really efficient with the places that we're building. And the future is 100% generational living. So that is going to become as standard. Absolutely. I think the- even, even for new build homes, you're going to start seeing new build generational home, generational living. So purpose-built, new-built duplexes and triplexes for three generations of the family. Well, you answered my next question. I was going to say, where um, where's construction going then following this trend? But I think the way that you broke that down um, with the trajectory of multifamily living, I think is, <laughs> is really easy to understand. And it's interesting because I talk a lot about mindset on my podcast and how we do need to change our mindsets, especially younger people as home buyers. <laughs> We're not buying homes the same way the boomers did in Canada. We're not buying homes the way Gen X bought homes in Canada. Millennials and Gen Zs are going to have to crack open their mindsets and look at kind of the ways that we can achieve that in an not so traditional way or traditional, depending on um, where your family is from, right? So yeah, I think, are there any other things that um, you would advise a first-time home buyer um, to kind of shift their perspective on to be successful in getting into the market, just from what you've seen on your end in the construction side? I would say always stick to fundamentals and, and don't worry too much about the noise of what's going on in the market. So pick a good neighborhood, neighborhood that you know you like, good schools, You've come and you visited that neighborhood two, three, four times at different times of the day, different days of the week. It's a nice neighborhood. It's quiet. Everybody's friendly. And pick a home that is not the largest home, but also not necessarily like something that's a condo. Pick something in the middle where it's a decent sized home and there's not a lot of upgrades done to it. So you can get it in at a decent price. That's going to give you the biggest lift over time without you doing much. And at that point, you've built enough equity and then you can put money back into the home. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You always so, have to be looking for value. That's the thing. That's um, when we looked for our first home, we we were only interested in bungalows. We wanted to see uh, something that could really see us through for a good investment. And that's something that I always um, suggest to first-time homebuyers, although they are becoming unreasonable in uh, in budget in a budget aspect for first-time home buyers. So if I already owned a home and I'm looking to do some upgrades that are going to give me the most bang for my buck because I want that resale, um, that resale value, can you give me a little bit of advice on what I should be looking at first? Yeah, it, it depends on your neighborhood and where you live. Look at the best home and the best comparable. So the house that sold, how much it sold for and what upgrades are done there. If you live in an area and you have a whole bunch of teardowns on your street and custom homes have built, been built instead of it, sky's the limit. You can do whatever upgrades you want. Get as close as possible to that. That's going to give you a good bang for your buck. If you are, uh, you have a subdivision home and most of the homes look the exact same, layout-wise, finishing-wise, then do whatever the best comparable did and maybe a little bit less. So those ones don't involve layout changes and full guts because you're not going to get full bang for your buck. So change your countertops, mild renovation to the bathrooms, hardwood floors, things like that, and then paint. So it depends what area you're in. Some That's interesting. So very more extensive. It depends. Like you have to look really at the local trends in your area that you're yeah. seeing and, and you have to look at sales. So you'd have to be working probably with a realtor too to look at um, comparables and um, things like that to see um, what upgrades have been done. I think that's that's good advice and advice I wouldn't have thought of to look locally. I'd yeah. always thought kitchens and bathrooms, kitchens and bathrooms. That's what we're going to be doing. You, you never know. Not always. You know, you go in a specific neighborhood, for example, and you go in uh, Brampton and uh, you're in a one specific neighborhood and you know you might find that walkout basements are the big thing you know you get a lot of lift on that price when a house has a walkout basement because that neighborhood may love renting out the basement for that supplementary income so it depends mm-hmm. where you are you know you may not get that if you're all the way up in i don't know muskoka or something you know the, that basement rental may not be the best bang for your buck maybe there the people want a farmhouse style kitchen or something like that Mm-hmm. No, unfortunately, uh, rental units are few and far between even up here. So they are um, at a premium and they tend to uh, skyrocket that house price too when they're when they're at a um, for a sale. So yeah. yes, I think that's that's great advice. And uh, yeah, second unit is always always something that's going to help. Absolutely. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit more about Nufor, uh, your company. How did Nufor come to be? Because you do have a bit of an interesting uh, background as an engineer. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the journey with that. So I started uh, I started off as an engineer and I used to work in a construction company and then I joined a consulting firm. So I was doing consulting as an engineer. Uh, I started then, uh, I had worked up north in the um, uh, northern BC, and then I did the whole fly in, fly out, saved a bit of money, and then bought a uh, rental property that needed a little bit of work. Then I bought a second, after that, by a few months, I bought a second rental property, which needed more work. I hired a general contractor, he did a terrible job, and then I had to let him go. And then I said, I think I could do this better myself. And then here we are today. No way. So you started investing from the ground up same way as um, yeah, that's incredible. And so now I'm going to I'm going to mine your your brain safe. Uh, what else would you 
what knowledge would you impart to first-time investors or to somebody who's bought, uh, they bought an owner-occupied home, they have a basement suite in it, they have to go and find their tenant. What would you tell them? They have the basement suite already? Yeah, it's already done. They bought it with Everything a basement suite, but now they, they're thinking of being a landlord and they're like, oh, wow, now, now what do I do? Okay, be very careful when you filter your tenants. Number one, very basic thing, income check. So you need to have three times the amount of rent in gross income for that household. That's one. Credit, usually my criteria is 650 and up. As long as they're 650 and up, then it's fine. Um, and then one of my very specific criteria, just because I've had a really, really, really bad experience with this before, and now I put that in, and, and if, it, if it fails this criteria, I'll never pick the tenant. Unfortunately, if they're moving out of home for the first time. Oh, that's it's, interesting. It's a hit or miss. And most of the time it's a miss and it's a really, really, really big one. You get things that are so basic that you think is completely normal that just don't get done. I had once, I don't know why, I, did, I made the same mistake twice. Really, I did in over two years. So once where, um, actually, I, I do know why, sorry, that first tenant hadn't moved out yet. So I didn't know the magnitude of how much was destroyed. So it was absolutely terrible. And then they brought it friends and then more friends and more friends. And then he left and then someone else was paying rent. And then he left and the place was destroyed. Like I'm talking when they left, they left the furniture there. I went at that time. That was my first investment. And I went and, and I was clearing everything out and cleaning it. And it was like, you know, chicken nuggets under the bed. I don't know how long that's been sitting there for like that gross. And then the second time that it happened, there was, it was a big issue. And they ended up threatening to take me to the landlord tenant board because they're like, Oh, the property's in such bad shape. But I'm like, I just put so much money into it. This was my second property, which I have brought that general contractor into what they started doing is because they moved out of home for the first time, something so simple, they would cook bacon in the morning and they would dump the bacon grease in the sink, sink every single day. So what happened? The sewer started backing up. It destroyed the place. I ended up doing, I'll never forget that, $15,000 in rework because I took apart all the brand new floors. I trenched the concrete, dug out the sewer after I had just renovated the whole place and replaced everything, put it back together, got them to move in. I magically did that in one week. They come after one week and they said, here's our bills. I'm like, what bills? I'm going to re reimburse rent for one week. They're like, no, no, no. Mattress is stained. I want a new mattress. I paid $900 for this. I stayed at the Hilton. Here's valet receipts. Here's everything. And I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. They're like, no problem. LTB. So at that point, I was like, no, I'm going to pay. And that's it. And those were the two worst, worst experiences that I had. Yeah. So you learned. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Myself and my husband, we bought our first property, had a uh, rental income, rental unit in it. We spent the longest time looking for a tenant, ended up with a beautiful older lady who paid every month on time. And it was a great relationship. And we were living there. Um, so it was a little bit different. But I agree. Um, students, that's a tough one, too, if you're uh, welcoming students into your your rental um and yeah. it's even sometimes they're professionals. They could be professionals, but they're moving out of home for the first time. That could be anybody, especially these days. You could be 21. You could be 30. 
be very careful if they're moving out of home for the first time. I'm not saying it should be an automatic no because everybody needs a chance, but you depend. It depends. You know, you got to filter them and you have to decide whether it's going to be on your dime or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've invested in, um, in rental units, you've done some conversions, some building, you've done a whole lot of things. Are there any exciting projects uh, that you're working on right now that you're just like really lit up about? Yes, there is actually, it's not even our biggest one, but it's the one I'm the most excited about. We closed the contract with the city of Hamilton uh, two months ago. We're going to start construction in January, 2024. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's a retirement home here in Dundas, Ontario, and they're redoing the cafeterias in four different wings. So we're going to be redoing those one a month. New Four is going to be doing that. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, congratulations on winning that bid. That's such great news for you folks. Absolutely. So, um, you know what, Save. that's all I have for you today. And I appreciate the conversation. But is there anything else that you would like to share or um, anywhere where you'd like people to check you out other than the YouTube video, which I will link in the comments? Uh, that was a phenomenal promo video. So share away what do you want us to know? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get in touch with us, obviously, if you have any questions or if you're thinking of doing this or you think your home is a, a good candidate for something like this, you can always visit us on newford.com. Click the quote me button, fill out the form. Someone's going to call you in less than 24 hours. Or you can visit us on Instagram. We're super active on there. It's newfor Inc. N-E-W-F-O-R-E-I-N-C. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Save. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure.